You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. And that's it. Not ashamed of the gospel, loved ones, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And listen, in the midst of a very evil world, the gospel cannot be stopped, and it is advancing. Let's thank the Lord, can we? Let's pray. Let's pray. And let's thank the Lord. Father, you are the one responsible for every single testimony we have just seen and all the testimonies we have seen over this past decade in this church and across this land and across this world right now. Millions upon millions of people testifying through their love in Jesus Christ because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all you. It's by your grace, Lord. It's for your glory. I, I, I just, I love so much the truth, Lord. In the midst of all the opposition, in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the attacks on your name, you cannot be stopped. You will continue to move forward in love and grace and mercy, and you will continue to transform lives one at a time. Awesome. Only you can do that, Lord. You are the one who is sovereign. You are the one who is king. You are the one who is in control. And I pray you are heightening our lives now and our minds to say, Lord, how much am I willing to do for the one who's done everything for me? How much am I willing to give up? What kind of cost am I willing to count now in light of the fact that I'm a child that will never be taken from my God? My future is guaranteed. I cannot lose. The love is perfectly secured within me. And therefore, Lord, what is it that I really live for? You will speak to us today through this tough passage, but this great passage. And I pray you will bring conviction and tremendous transformation that again results in us saying, Lord, I want to live a simpler life that I may live a more powerful life in Jesus Christ. You can do that, Lord. I pray that you would in mine and in my family and this church family here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Quick update on Nepal. Um, our commitment to support the people there who are suffering through this um, awful earthquake, both um, those in the church and those outside the church. Uh, this week we have uh, donated $10,000 to Samaritan Purse, which we believe right now is the most effective ministry that we can partner with in seeing humanitarian aid, but also for the gospel as well. So we've committed to that as a church. want to encourage you with that. Some of you also desire to get behind giving as we're working with the Harvest Bible Chapels in Nepal and find the best way to donate to them to ensure that the money gets to the places that we want to see it go to the church itself and effective for the gospel there as well. Um, If you desire to give to that, there's a link on our website right on our front page and you can scroll down. There's a tab there. You can give right to the Nepal effort through our church or indicate on an envelope here today. Again, desiring to see um, love of Christ go forward in that nation right now at this difficult time. You indicate on the envelope clearly for Nepal and we will make sure that it gets there and then we will think about giving an update next week um, regarding this specific effort towards our churches as more information comes out, all right? So I want to encourage you. That's what we're doing with the Nepal effort and uh, very conscious of that, included in our prayers and um, asking the Lord to use this powerfully as only he can in the midst of such uh, suffering and tragedy where the light of the Lord Jesus Christ can shine powerfully as well. Okay, week number two within our series here. And I just want to remind you of the title for our series. Here it is right here. It's uh, Nuts for Jesus. All right? Now, um, if you were here last week, that makes sense. All right? 
And if you're a part of that message, if you weren't here last week, you think I'm nuts right now, all right? But I just wanted to put this up, and that went over a little bit better than last night's service, all right? And that's okay too, but at least I got your attention, right? At least I got your attention. And we, in some ways, we're called to be crazy for Jesus, nuts for Jesus Christ. The world doesn't understand. The world thinks that we're insane in terms of what we're wanting to do and live for him. And this passage today is no exception. But here's the real title for our series. It's this. It's gospel advance, the light shining in the darkness. We're being called to take so seriously the commission that Christ himself has put on us. And I want to remind you then, the goal for this series is this, that we would reinvigorate my passion for the gospel. I love that it's happened already in this series. I've talked to several people this week who just came flat out and said to me, I want you to know that I was so convicted by the Lord in the message for the gospel, I had to go out and shine the light of Jesus Christ in a new way this past week. Awesome. And so the prayer is, Lord, not just one week, but burden us continually to keep the, the, the love and passion for the gospel to be my purpose, you see. So this is our goal, that the passion for the gospel becomes my purpose in the gospel and then my perspective in the gospel. And that's a big thing that's going to happen today is gaining perspective in the gospel, specifically through Luke chapter 14. So I remind you once more our just outline for the series. Just want to communicate so we're all understanding. Last week, the gospel is my purpose. Help us to share it. This week, the gospel comes at a cost. Today, we are being challenged to count it, maybe in a way we haven't done in a long time, or maybe if ever. And then next week, Pastor Craig, the gospel can't be stopped, and we are to love that truth and love that fact. So here we are today. The gospel comes at a cost. Count it. And please open your Bibles then, as I said, to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 is where we are going to be today, specifically verses 25 uh, through 33. Now I want to start today with verse 25, which makes sense. It's the first verse in our text. But also because verse 25 is such a telling intro and really speaks to the rest of our passage and theme today. So look at Luke 14 verse 25. It says, now... Great crowds accompanied him. That's, of course, Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to them. So notice first that great crowds accompanied Jesus. Now, for any Bible teacher, this would be a great sign. Any Bible teacher want to be used in the things of the Lord, great crowds accompanied him. That would be exciting. Uh, a lot's following. There was momentum that was on the scene. There was a huge opportunity now for the teachings of Jesus Christ to gather more people and to increase the size of the attendance of those who surrounded Jesus. There was a great opportunity here, right? Right? Well, with Jesus, the answer is sort of. There was an opportunity here for sure, but maybe not the one that we might expect. I want you to see what Jesus does as the crowds increase in size and close in around him. When the crowds get the largest, it says, Jesus turned and said to them, now look at verse 26. Jesus turned and said to the great crowds that were there, if anyone comes to me, that sounds good, and does not hate his own father, what? And mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. What you talking about, Jesus? Yes, and yes, and even his own life. Then he ends with this astounding statement. He cannot be 
of my disciple. Okay, so, so I always exhort you, live in the text, live in the text, live in the text, okay? Imagine you're one of the 12 disciples. You're one of the 12 disciples, and you see the crowds gathering. You're like, yeah, man, Jesus is on a roll, man. I, I was a fisherman. I was nobody. I was a tax collector. I was despised. But now I'm one of the in crowd with Jesus, and here I am, and Jesus is teaching and preaching. And, man, things are looking great, man. The numbers are up, and people are excited, and they're all coming to gather around him. And you're there, one of the 12 disciples, and since you're so proud. And it's just, yeah, 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 here's my guy. Here's my rabbi. And then he says, verse 26. Just, just, I, I want to ask you, if you're one of the 12, what are you thinking at that moment? You know, as Jesus says, if anyone does not hate his mother, brother, brother, sister, and even his own life cannot be my, I mean, if you're one of the 12, are you, are you like, hey, Peter, did he just say that? Did he just say what I thought, did he just say what I thought he said? Or like, what's your face doing as you, as you hear Jesus say that? Are you just like, what? Did, what? 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 Did he say what I, I thought he said again? I live in the text and imagine that moment as a disciple. You really are not sure what's going on. Let's know this about Jesus. I love this. Jesus, this wasn't a good PR move right here by Jesus. It wasn't. Jesus was not a good politician, was he? Was he? A politician would never, ever do this because they want the numbers to increase. But I love the fact that Jesus was not a good politician. I love the fact that Jesus loved the people too much to be so concerned about how many were there. He wasn't into the quantity, but he was into the quality. And that's why he brought the message that he brought. It's interesting to me that often when the crowds got the biggest, Jesus brought his hardest. It's amazing to me. And let's be clear, this little sermon here by Jesus, this would not grow the church, so to speak. It would probably shrink it. And in some ways, I think our message today will do the same. But let's also be clear, this little message by Jesus, it would strengthen the church. It would indeed strengthen the church and those who truly followed him. And I believe our message today will do the same. Probably won't grow the church today here. But I think for those who listen and believe and by faith will follow, I believe this message will strengthen the church. Because what Jesus does now within this text, he brings a message of cost, he brings a message of suffering. Ultimately, he brings a message, if you're going to follow me, you got to die to self. Why would Jesus do this? He does this for the same reason a goldsmith heats up gold. As the goldsmith heats up gold, it causes the impurities of the gold to rise to the surface. And as the impurities rise to the surface, the goldsmith is then able to skim off those impurities, thereby leaving the gold more pure than it was before. Jesus brings a message of cost to your individual life and to this church and to the church at large because Jesus understands when we know the reality of the cost of our lives, the cost of suffering, the cost of death to self, he understands it's going to weed out pretty quickly those who are false. It's going to show us in our own individual lives the parts we are living for self and the parts we're actually living for Christ. So as the heat gets turned up into our lives, the impurities rise to the top and by the grace of God through messages like this, he skims off the impurities within our lives and within our church, thereby maybe not leaving us greater numbers, but leaving us with a more pure body and family of God gathered at this time. That's why Jesus gives messages of cost of self, cost of suffering, and cost of death to self. You see, Jesus was not into spiritual hype. Praise God for that. But Jesus was into spiritual health, and nothing has changed. 
So as we enter into this message today, loved ones, I need you to know, and I hope you do know, that the life for the genuine follower of Jesus Christ today, now listen to this, the life for those following Christ, you understand it's not getting any easier, right? And I really hope you're, you know it's, it's not getting easier to follow Christ. But I believe it will get way better. That's the irony of what Jesus Christ does. In the midst of the greatest difficulty and hardship, he produces some of the greatest joy. It's those who are suffering the most that so often find the greatest joy that is unexplainable even to themselves, let alone the rest of the world. But let's understand, following Christ in our world right now, all the signs are indicating it's not getting easier. That's why Jesus says messages like he says today. This is why he points out passages that we have today. Now what we discover in passages like this and in the midst of the opposition increasing, we find out what we're really made of. We just do. We find out what's true and what's not. But see, instead of being fearful in this, and this is the challenge for today, there'll be elements of this message that will tempt you with fear. But instead of being fearful, we surrender that again to the Lord. We understand he's promised this to us. And instead of fighting with fear, we then turn and fight with faith. With faith in the one who is sovereign, who's in control, who loves us. And ultimately, loved ones, we understand we're not living for this world. We're living for what's guaranteed in the next as children of God. And therefore, we sacrifice all now for the sake of getting everything in the world that is to come. All that to say the gospel comes at a cost. And we have to count it. If we're genuine disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to count it. So what kind of cost are we talking about? Point number one is this, the cost of self. We have to count the cost of self. Look again at verse 26. So Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now what a profound teaching this is from Jesus here. Notice the word hate in verse 26. But realize, essentially, what Jesus is teaching is really love, as in a love for Christ. Jesus, in verse 26, is not outright teaching us to hate people. Hating was a Semitic term that really meant loving less. Jesus is indicating here, anyone who does not love mother, father, brother, sister, even his own life less than me, cannot be my disciple. Because anyone who loves their father on earth more than their father in heaven doesn't get the gospel. Anyone who puts mother ahead of Christ or spouse ahead of Christ, again, doesn't fully understand the gospel. So that's why Jesus says, if you don't hate mother, father, brother, sister yourself, then you cannot be my disciple because obviously you don't understand what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because when you have everything in Christ and you have experienced the true love that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is nothing, literally nothing, that compares here on earth. No horizontal relationship could ever ultimately compare to the vertical relationship that we have with the eternal God of the universe who has given us life and the inheritance of being a child of God. So the person who gets that will obviously love Jesus Christ more than any relationship on this earth. This week, literally this week, some of you have indicated to me that your mother or father has disowned you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. What is that? That's verse 26. 
That's verse 26. You have chosen in the pursuit and love of Jesus Christ to love him more even when your earthly father has disowned you for your faith in Jesus Christ. I spoke to some of you this week. There is now tension in your marriage because of your love for Jesus Christ. There's a spouse that is so threatened and despises your growth in Jesus Christ that there's a tension in your marriage. That's verse 26. You are choosing to love Christ in the midst of having an earthly spousal relationship be affected by that. I literally talked to some of you this week. You had friends before Christ that are no longer your friends after Christ because of Christ in your life. That is verse 26. That is verse 20. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Hear me. Hear me. We love our parents in this world. Amen. We love our spouses in this world. Amen. We love our friends, of course, in the love of Christ in this world. But ultimately, if it comes down to who do I love, of course, my love for Christ must be preeminent in this way. That over, that's verse 26. This is what Jesus is saying. And I believe the last part, though, of verse 26 is the most important. Where Jesus says, yes, anyone even hates his own life. There it is. That's the true test. He cannot be my disciple. Now, think about what Jesus just said. The big crowds gather. The disciples are there. Jesus says, listen, if you don't hate mother, father, brother, sister, yet even your own life, you can't be my, can't be my disciple. Who can, who can demand such devotion? I mean, what a thing to say, right? Who is, who, is, who is worthy of such devotion? There's only one who can make such a request upon our lives, and that's, and that's God himself. Only God can demand such a thing because he is perfect. Jesus Christ being our all in all. When you have your all in all, you have found everything. When you have found everything, then you need nothing. And so this is why Jesus Christ can say, and hating even your own life, unless you do that, you cannot be my disciple. Let's be clear, the gospel is a call to death, a call to death of self and life in Christ. But this is why, loved ones, in the call to death of self, this is why the Bible, Jesus tells us, that many will choose the wide and easy road that leads to destruction. Why? Because we want the road that's about us. We want the road that's easy. That's why many people across this nation, even in churches, are sitting faithfully once a week in church, intellectually agreeing on some level with Jesus and indicating good works on some level with their lives, but probably for the wrong motives. But in the end, they are actually living for self, and there's no relationship with Christ. They are actually sitting on the wide and easy road. They, they, they are not generally following Jesus Christ. There are some people in this room right now There's never been a true death to self. There's never been a full surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you right now are on the wide and easy road that leads to death. You can't live for self all the time and truly know Jesus Christ. He says it right here in the text of my words his. You cannot be my disciple. That's why few then travel the narrow road, which is hard, the Bible says. You hear that? It is hard. Why? Because it's not about us. It's a denial of the flesh. It's a full surrender to the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. But it leads to life. It leads to life. This is one of the great challenges within our day. I 
what I know is even as I preach this one verse right now, there's a battle within. Some of us don't like this truth preached over us. Why? Why? We don't like this truth preached over us, cost to, cost to self and death to self and life in Christ because ultimately our flesh wants ease, we want comfort, and we want safety. You say, how do you know that, Robbie? Because I have a flesh too. And I want ease, and I want comfort, and I want safety. If it was up to my flesh, that's all I'd be going for. But the Spirit of God within me doesn't want flesh, it wants Christ. And this is the key. This is what's happening. But this is the battle over our lives, and this is supposed to be the true disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, our flesh. In Romans 12, it says we are to be a living sacrifice. And as one commentator astutely pointed out, the problem with a sacrifice that is alive it keeps trying to crawl off the altar. It's like that worm when you're fishing and you cut it in half and the thing just keeps going. It seemingly will never die. You put it on a hook, like 10 casts later, it's still moving. That's our flesh so often. It's like we know we should die to sell, but in the end our flesh fights so hard to stay alive. Make it about me. Make it about me. Make it about me. And that's why Jesus pulls out messages like this and says, can't be about you it has to be about me our flesh wants self but the spirit of god within us wants christ and so the battle even right now your flesh is like no don't listen don't listen but the spirit of god's like yeah listen 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 the spirit of god's like jesus 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 and the flesh is like me 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 and this is where we start to see again what we're truly made of but don't you see why this is why there's so many false gospels in our day a false gospel ultimately away from christ and put on self a false gospel of prosperity is a false gospel, because at the end of the day, the gospel says Jesus Christ died so you can have a lot of money. Really? Really? Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. That's a false gospel. That's a gospel of promoting the flesh, not denying it. It's a false gospel. The false gospel of, of, of health. The false gospel that Jesus Christ died so I will be free from all kinds of pain. There will be no sickness. I believe God heals, but the whole gospel isn't the premise that you are free from all forms of pain and suffering. That's a false gospel. See, any teaching that ultimately puts us in the center and Jesus Christ on the outside making our life about our happiness, that's a false gospel. There was a book written ago, about 10, written 10 years ago or so, pretty popular. It's called Your Best Life Now. It was written by Joel Osteen. That book fundamentally in the center is the person, is the man or woman. Jesus Christ is on the outside. If you go through the outline of that book, loved ones, I hate to tell you this, that's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. Jesus, sin isn't mentioned. The true gospel isn't there. There's no death to self. It's all this promotion of the individual over and above God himself. It's a false gospel. It's not in here. It completely contradicts our text today. That's what that book does. And yet so many people, the amazing thing is, you're led away by a false gospel, you're actually, but a lot of biblical language in there, a lot of seemingly good principles, a lot of smiles, a lot of nice guys, right? A lot of, just because you're a nice guy doesn't make you true. Please understand that, right? Just because you're a nice guy doesn't mean anything. Satan disguises himself in the angel's light of all the time. Nice guys. If you're being led by a false gospel, understand this. You're being led away from Christ. If you're being led away from Christ, you're being led to hell. Because you just can't, there's no Jesus and a negative path. It's either Christ and heaven or apart from Christ and not heaven. It's two things that are happening within this world. 
We've got to understand that. This is why Paul says in Galatians 1, he says this. I love Paul's humility. But if we, if I or an angel, should preach a gospel contrary to the one that we preach and you received, let him be accursed. See Paul's saying? The gospel we receive from God, if I myself preach a gospel contrary to that, let him be accursed. And just in case you missed it, the very next verse, he says the same thing over again. If a gospel is preached contrary to the one that we had, let that person be accursed. So this is why we have to know the word. This is why we have to really think about what are we following? Who are we following? What are we thinking? What is the reality of following Jesus Christ? The gospel comes at a cost and fundamentally a cost to self. But make sure you know this. This is the beauty of the gospel. The moment we die to self is the moment we actually start to live life as it was meant to be lived. And maybe, and maybe this is your answer today. Maybe this is your answer. You've never truly died to self. You've never truly given up everything to Christ. There's always been a portion of, well, I like this part of following Christ, but this part over here, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Whenever we do the mind part, we're sacrificing life. The more I know how hard this is, but in the grace of God, by the power of God's spirit, when we die to self, life begins to be lived in a way we've never imagined before. But the key is dying to self. John 12 helps us up very very well here. Check this out. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So this is so interesting. A kernel or a grain of wheat, that's what Jesus said is very true. If it falls to the earth and just sits there and does not die, it will just stay by itself and nothing will happen. But Jesus goes on, but if it dies, but if it dies, It bears much fruit. A kernel of wheat, the moment it dies, it breaks open. And when it breaks open, literally, literally, there are thousands of opportunities for seed of grain that explode through this one kernel of wheat that breaks open and dies. It's an awesome illustration. Jesus tends to be pretty smart, huh? And so he uses this, and then he goes on to say, whoever loves his life loses it. You love your life, that's remaining alone, that's that's not dying. Whoever loses his life, he says, or hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. But the key is dying to self is where life is really beginning to be lived. The gospel comes at a, at a cost to self. And it also comes at this cost, number two, the cost of suffering. So the ear-tickling sermon continues by Jesus here. Look at verse 27, not. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot me my be my disciple whoever does not bear his own cross now the moment his listeners hear cross under roman rule they instantly think death the moment they hear take up cross the cross again instrument of torture of humiliation of loneliness and yes of death you know jesus spoke these words 2000 years ago And the early church would quickly find out what he meant by this phrase, as many of them would literally die in the form of such a death. Now us here, us here in this nation at this time, in this time of history, we have for the most part, we have have been raised in a historical Christian society. That has been a tremendous grace of God. Unusual blessing, unusual peace, unusual freedom, founded on the principles of the Lord and the principles of Scripture. 
And we need to be so thankful for that. I just walked into the building today and I just recited to myself, God, thank you that we can meet in this place in freedom. Thank you we have the blessing to gather. Thank you for the grace of the gospel we freely shared. Thank you, Lord, for your freedom. But, 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 but we know if we're at all aware of what's happening, we know times are changing. Now how and why, we're not totally sure. But we know things are not staying the same. And we also know that the peace and freedom we experience today currently in the gospel is not that way for hundreds and thousands and millions of our brothers and sisters across this world. Listen to these stats in the persecuted church given by Open Doors Ministry. It says, More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in all the other centuries combined. Over 75% of the world's population lives in areas with severe religious restrictions. 75% of the world's population. Christians are the most widely persecuted religious group in the world. 75% of acts of religious intolerance are directed against Christians. 75%. According to the United States Department of State, Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Currently, over 100 million Christians are being persecuted worldwide. The number one persecutor of Christians is North Korea, where an estimated 50,000 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned in labor camps. China has experienced a 300% increase in abuse and persecution against Chinese Christians even since 2013. More than 70% of Christians have fled Iraq since 2003, 70%, if not more, 700,000 Christians have left Syria since the Civil War began in 2011. That's the entire population of the city of Mississauga. The most rapidly growing area of persecution in the, in the world watch list are in the countries of Africa, especially in the sub-Saharan Africa. Islamic extremism is by far the most significant persecution engine 40 of the 50 countries on the world watch list are affected by this kind of persecution. 2014 experienced the highest level of global persecution of Christians in the modern era. 2014 experienced the highest level of global persecutions of Christians in the modern era. And it says that 2015 current conditions suggest that the worst is, is yet to come. I think we believe that. Here's a map of the reality of the persecuted church across our world. Red is extreme persecution. Extreme. Like, you're a Christian, you die, basically. Yellow is severe persecution. Then moderate and then sparse. But just look. And it's not, it's not like Europe is doing great. I mean, this is, this is just what's happening in our day. But as you think about that, let's always remember, it's pretty much precisely what Jesus Christ promised would happen. So let's not be surprised. And let's not be fearful either. We know as Christians that even in our society, suffering's getting closer and closer to home. We know that the name of Jesus has never been more under attack here now. We know that agendas are all over the place, specifically against Christ, against his church, and against his word. So many agendas are rising up. 
We know that subtle persecution is ever-increasing in the forms of intolerance, verbal attacks, legal activities, and the subtle is often becoming not so subtle. We know that entire forms of government are closing in on religious liberty and freedom, specifically against Christians. We know the increasing satanic hatred for Christ is becoming more and more obvious. We know the flavor of the Antichrist is growing with each day, and that's what it is. It's Antichrist. It's not anti-Buddha. It's not anti-Muhammad. It's Antichrist. Again, just as Jesus promised. Now, as I say these things, some of you are tempted with fear. I understand. Sometimes I get tempted with fear too, but be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be prepared. Be prepared. The Lord loves you. He's with us. He will win, and we are here today, and we are called to live at a cost and suffering for him. And I'm not trying to scare you at all, but I am trying to prepare you again with what Jesus has so clearly said. Now, what happens to me in this process of being aware of the reality of the world that we are currently living in, what it does for me ultimately when I ground my faith in the word and the love and the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ, what it does, it lessens my grip on the world and tightens my grip on the word. That's what's happening in my life right now. I mean, just the things of the world, it's amazing how they go strangely dim. It's amazing how you just desire now to hold tighter and tighter to the word of God. Listen, when I think about these truths, it lessens my passion for earth and heightens my passion for eternity. It diminishes my desire for self and intensifies my love for the Savior. At the end of the day, it causes me to care less for self and it causes me to care way more for the gospel of Jesus Christ because in the end, that's all that matters. That's the power of opposition increasing. That's the power of us understanding the reality of what we're facing. That's the opportunity that God brings to a church that truly understands what we're living for and who we're living for. Again, I'm not trying to be an alarmist today, but I am trying to teach you the Bible. And this is what the Bible says. And I want you to know, I'm having conversations with my kids right now. Why? Because I want them to understand the reality of the cost of following Jesus Christ. Sons, son, if you really go all, I mean, you can be a nominal Christian, sit in the back and agree with everything the world says and capitulate the culture entirely. Well, that's not a Christian anyways, but lots of people who say that, well, I believe in God, but that's, that's not going to do suffering costs because you're not, you're not saying for anything. But if you actually desire to live for Jesus Christ, and go against culture in love and gentleness and humility, but stand with conviction upon the word of God and his truth, it will come in a Son, son, if you live all out for Jesus Christ, it's not going to be easy. Why do I say that? Because I love him. It's not a bed of roses, but it's going to be awesome. But it's going to be, son, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. See what the Lord does. The opportunity to live for him in a time where the world is in such desperate need of the love of Jesus Christ. It's too important. Now back to our text. Look at what Jesus does in verse 28. He says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? There it is. Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who see him begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, Jesus here is front-loading. Again, you can't, you can't charge Jesus not, with, not, with not being up front and telling us. He's like, count the cost, count the cost. Know what you're walking into, right? The great crowds have gathered. And he's like, wait, time out, time out, time out. 
If you're going to do this, this is your reality. Cost of self, cost of suffering, die to self. Why? Jesus isn't into lukewarm Christians. He's not into half-hearted affairs. He's into the quality of those who understand what the gospel actually is. You know, I'm convinced that Satan is so afraid, of course, of this message in this particular series. And why is he so afraid? Because what if the church actually woke up? I mean, what if we actually began to woke up as to what life is really about? What if we actually started to live in such a way that we became less and Jesus Christ became more? You know when you're casually sitting around and maybe drinking a cup of coffee, and this has happened to many of us, and all of a sudden the phone rings or a text comes in or someone comes up to you, an emergency is hit or a crisis comes upon your situation, and you're sitting there one moment, and things are fine, and you're enjoying the moment as we should, but then the crisis comes in, and instantly the heart beats fast, the mind is so serious, you get up, you rush to provide aid. Many of us have happened with our kids or a loved one, And one second you're casual, the next second it's the emergency, it's the intensity, it's that 911 moment, and everything comes into focus, and all your energy is put into this moment. Everything else doesn't matter. That's one of the greatest powers of suffering within the church and persecution. Is that all of a sudden, all of a sudden you wake up, all of a sudden the seriousness, all of a sudden all these other things no longer matter. You see, Jesus understands the power of cost. He understands the power of suffering. He understands the power of dying to self. Because think about it, think about it. When we are being opposed by the outside world and we really now understand what we're living for and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, think about it, think about it men and women. In those moments, there's no time for pornography. There's no time for that. There's too much urgency. There's too many people dying. I don't have time to sit around and waste my life looking at sin. Think about this. When the gospel's at its forefront and the cost is in front of us, there's no time for infighting in the church. Think of how many churches have gone down fighting over the color of the carpet. Think of how many churches have gone down fighting over which style of music they like more. In the reality of eternity and the gospel, that is pathetic. That is ultimately and definitely pathetic. That how many believers would fight each other when the reality people are dying. But see, when opposition comes in, all of a sudden, you're just glad to sing a song at all. Let alone care about what style it is to suit your likings. When the opposition comes, there's no time for materialism. Who cares if you get a new car? I'm trying to save people from death. When the opposition comes in, who cares about vanity? There's too much at stake. You see, there just isn't time for that stuff. Everything comes crystal clear focus. You actually begin to wake up and start living the Christian life as intended in Scripture. And that's why the greatest indictment upon the Western church has been lazy, apathetic, complacent, self-driven believers who talk about a whole bunch of issues and the end of the day have no bearing and no meaning on eternity itself. God help us. And that's why Jesus brings messages like he does today in this text. Because he helps us understand the reality of what we're actually supposed to be doing, why we're here, and what he's done for us. But see, if we start to get this, and trust me, I don't fully get this, but I'm thinking and praying about it a lot. Because I know that when I start to understand the reality of what's going on, then the world does become less. That my vision becomes so clear on Jesus Christ 
and how awesome it is to say, I, don't, I used to want that. I don't want any more. Because what matters is the love of God within my life and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this prayer meeting we're having on May 13th, you got to be there. You know why? This is, this is a prayer for our future as a church. God, in the midst of all this, in the midst of our society, in the midst of our world, in the midst of, God, where do you want to take us, Lord? What should we do with this building? Should we expand or not expand? Does it matter in light of the gospel? Help us, God. Are we trying to reach more people here and then outside as well or just outside? God, help us for our future. Would you, would you lead us? What does boldness look like in our day? What does the gospel look like going forward? What ministries, God, we need your help. May 13th, if you care about this church, you'll be at that prayer meeting. You will. Praying for our future. If you care about this church, if you care about the future of the gospel in this particular family of God, you will be there. Did I mention it's May 13th? It's May 13th. We have to pray. He's all we got. In light of texts like this, how critical this is. And notice the example Jesus gives in verse 29. He says, people will mock the unfinished building. Isn't that amazing? Inherently, we read into this now, The world mocks half-hearted Christianity. Why? Because it's people who profess to know Christ, but don't live what they say they believe. And so the world says, I knew you were fake. I've seen this hundreds of times. People like, I am in for Jesus, I'm in for Jesus. Life gets hard, opposition comes in. I'm out for Jesus, I'm out for Jesus. And their friends in the world say, yeah, I knew you were fake. I knew you were fake. Chirp, 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 chirp. And Jesus says, you better count the cost. Know what you're getting into but listen, they listen in. Where there's cost, there is so much blessing and then joy. And that, but see, that's where faith comes in. When you, when you truly understand the gospel, there's nothing else you actually need. The cost of self, the cost of suffering. Thirdly, the cost of sacrifice. Look at verse 33 now. So therefore, Jesus says, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, so if there's any question on Jesus calling for complete commitment in this text, those questions are answered. He says, anyone who does not renounce all that he has, that phrase in the Greek carries the idea of saying goodbye to. Meaning, I don't trust in what I have, I trust in who I am in Christ. I trust in my God. So I'm able to say goodbye to the things of the world because of the reality of the God. Say, how does that happen? It happens by God's grace. Listen, listen. Here's, here's Paul's secret again. Philippians 3. I count all things as lost. I renounce all that I have. Why, why? Compared to the surpassing worth, the treasure of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul knows, I found the greatest treasure there could ever be. I have all things now, infinite worth in Christ. Therefore, compared to Jesus and the gospel, that I count as dung. That is nothing to me. That's all rubbish in compared to the value and the worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the secret to living this way. That's the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus tells the parable, the man stumbles along, he finds the treasure in the field, he instantly, this is key, he sees the worth of the treasure, Jesus Christ, the gospel, he leaves, he goes and sells all that he has so he can buy the field, because when he has the field, he has the treasure. When he has the treasure, he needs nothing else. Notice in that parable, when he sees the treasure, he finds the joy, when he has the joy, that leads to the sacrifice. Do you see that? The man in the parable, he's not like, oh, do I have to? Oh, what, a, what, a, what an annoying thing this is. Oh, man, such a trial. No, no, no. He understands he found infinite value in Christ. That leads to joy. 
I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. And then sacrifice naturally comes from joy when you know you have the greatest gift ever in the history of the world. Do you see? That's how you live this stuff out. It's not by trying harder. The more you understand the value you received in Jesus Christ, the more joy we have, the more we're like, a cost of self, that's nothing compared. The most powerful men and women ever used, that, that's how they lived. I have the gospel. In the end, ultimately, I, I need nothing else. I have Jesus. I need nothing else. And therefore, do what you want to me, including taking my life, because in the end, you're only just furthering me into the kingdom of heaven with my Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that is a truth very few believers in this part of the world live. But it's possible. It's possible to increasingly be living this way as we die to self and live for Christ. There's a cost in the gospel. Notice verse 31 now as we finish here. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while well, the other is yet a way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And this is very interesting. So in the first parable of counting the cost in the tower, you could say Jesus is saying, sit down and count the cost of following Christ. The second parable, I believe you could say this way, sit down and count the cost of not following Christ. The first parable is, what does it mean to follow Christ? The second parable is, those who go against God are going to lose. Whether it's 20,000 to 10,000 or 2 million to 1, God wins. So make sure you count the cost. See, see no, loved ones, this is so key to you. The cost for following Christ is significant. Listen, but it's temporal. Hear me, this is for some here today too. The greatest cost is rejecting Christ because that's eternal. You see that? Remember that, remember that. We're so focused on the present, but eternity is what really matters. So, the cost of following Christ ultimately is temporal. That's why you have people who are losing their heads right now for the case of Jesus Christ because they understand that truth. Go ahead, kill my, kill my life, but you cannot take my soul. The greatest cost, you're here today, if you are apart from Jesus Christ, the cost that will be brought to the person apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ lasts for all of eternity. The forgiveness of sins, the love of God placed upon the person who receives the gift by faith. So again, let's be sure this following Christ in this life is a cost, the greatest cost is rejecting Christ. You know this month's issue from the Voice of Martyrs, it's entitled, we only die once. We might as well die for Jesus. Just think about that truth. I mean, how can you deny that? We only die once. We might as well die for Jesus. There's conflicting reports, but the reports are either dozens of Christians every day die for their faith in Jesus Christ or hundreds of Christians die for their faith every day in Jesus Christ. I want to read you here one story. There's many stories I could read about realities of what's happening across this world. Some are just honestly too graphic for me to share in this setting, but I want to tell you a story of Graham Stewart Staines. He was an Australian missionary who was martyred along with his two sons, Philip, who was age 10, and Timothy, who was age 6, while sleeping in their station wagon at Monhampar Village in Arissa, India, in January 1999. In 2003, the Hindu activist Dara Singh was convicted of leading the gang. Graham Staines had been working in Arissa among the tribal poor and especially with leprosy patients since 1965. So him and his wife... Gladys, they married 
were met in 1981. They were working with leprosy patients. They'd worked together since then. Three children, daughter Esther, two sons Philip and Timothy. Staines assisted in translating the Bible into the whole language of India, including proofreading the entire New Testament manuscript, though his primary ministry was to lepers. He spoke fluent Oria, which is very popular among the patients. They loved him. He used to help them and love them, of course, when they were cured. He used to teach them how to make mats out of rope and basket of saboy grass and, and hand weaving. So this, this, this man's whole life was dedicated to the practical, emotional, physical, and spiritual love of Jesus Christ to those who were deemed unlovable. Like that was his mission in life. So on the night of January 22, 1999, Graham Staines had attended a jungle camp, an annual gathering of Christians, to strengthen fellowship and for teaching. And in the night, he was sleeping in a station wagon when his, when his station wagon was set afire by a Hindu mob. And Graham and his two sons, 10 and 6 years old, were burnt alive. And their charred bodies were found embracing each other. They tried to get out, apparently, but of course, the Hindu mob, in their horrific evil, would not let them. What's up with that? Here's a man, he's just trying to live for Jesus and love him. He's just trying to love people with leprosy who no one else would go near. Especially the culture that he was living in. They wouldn't go near them. He's just trying to love Christ. And the evil that comes against them and sets their car on fire. I have a 10-year-old. I have an 8-year-old. The writer who wrote this post said, Graham Staines lost his life, but he did not waste it. He says, writing that you may not waste yours. You know, it's really, really interesting with this difficult passage is to understand what are we really willing, to, who are we really in Jesus Christ? What is this really about? How far are we really willing to go? Luke chapter 12, verse four. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. I mean, one of the realities of being a Christ follower is, again, the temporal fact, you can take my life, but again, you cannot take my soul. That is going to heaven guaranteed. That is the power that we live in. It's such a powerful truth in our day. But Jesus says, but I will warn you whom to fear. This is the real fear in life. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast him into hell. Notice Jesus says, yes, I tell you. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Where do we go from here in a message like this? There's a few things that I want to jot down here in light of the reality of this message on the screen here. I have six things that I jotted down. Where do we go from this from here? How do you start to live effectively in light of this passage? Number one, this one, loved ones, pray effectively. Pray effectively. Pray according to the gospel. I'm not going to condemn you for praying for ingrown toenails. I'm just saying I think there's higher levels of prayer. I think the Lord will hear all prayers. I really, really do. But I think our urgency and how we're praying is what are we really praying for? Are we praying that God will increase our income so we can buy something else or take a nicer vacation? I just don't know. I don't know about that prayer. I don't know. I think God likes to bless us, I think, but in the, in, in the reality and the light of all that we're looking at right now across this world, I think there are more effective prayers that we can pray in terms of the gospel. I think eternity in heaven and people being saved from hell and death are a little more important than our temporal satisfaction here on earth. I'm just saying. Uh, secondly, do this. Think clearly. 
Perspective, loved ones, loved ones. Think clearly. Like take the truth of these texts and think before you speak. Think before you live. What are you living for? Think about these things. Get some perspective. You know, one book, there's been several, but one book has been very impactful for me. I'll put it on the screen for you here. It's called Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ by John Piper. And it's a biography of three specific individuals who lost, gave their lives, lost their lives for the cause of the gospel. William Tyndale, a daughter of Judson, and John Payton. I've read this book a few times, including this week pretty much. The first section on Tyndale on the translation of God's words, a little bit heady or, or kind of, it's, it's just fantastic history, but in the end he loses his life for translating the Bible into English. And then you go through the, the lives of Judson and Payton. It's so humbling to read the reality of what they lost because of their love for Jesus Christ. And when you, and when you finish the book, you're just like, wow, my life is just like, my problems are not problems. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, I want to live more for Christ. That's in our bookstore, but there's only like a couple of copies. So the bookstore doesn't know I'm doing this, so I'm going to get big trouble, okay? But, but Amazon, we can order some more in, but I just recommend this to you. You know how to find it, okay? Let's go back to our thing here. Uh, live simply. Live simply. That's just wisdom. Don't cause your life to be so filled with distractions that the gospel's crowded out. That's just dumb. Live simply. How do, you, how do you declutter your life? How do you simplify your life so that you are freed to even pray and love for the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're so busy with what? That's a great question. We're so busy with what, ultimately? Eternity's coming. It's coming. Live simply. Give generously. Of course. What matters in this life? The gospel. Give to the gospel. Why? Urgency. Lives are at stake. Lives are at stake. Whether Nepal, whether here in this world, whether for this church, whether for the cause of Christ, give generously because what else are we ultimately giving towards? How exciting. That'll make sense. That'll make sense. I count all things as loss because I want the gospel to go forward. This one here, love powerfully. Love powerfully. Well, everything comes down to love. That's the Lord's Supper here today too. Love powerfully. The cost of self, the cost of suffering. How can you love by dying to self? How can you love through choosing to suffer? How can you love through sacrifice today? How can I love that way as well? But I want you to see this too, sickly. This is, this is so important. Believe expectantly. So, so in the midst of the reality of what's happening, listen, don't lose heart. Now, you saw that baptism video today? What is that? That is the gospel changing lives. In the midst of all the darkness, God's like, bring it. In, the, in, in a humble way, we can stand in the face of Satan and the world and say, bring it. Why? Not because of us, because God's with us. And if God is with us, yes, who can be against us? So listen, listen. My prayer is in the midst of such a tough text, at the end you will say, man, 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 I believe my life is in Christ. I believe that I cannot lose. I believe as I die to self, I live more. I believe that as I become less, Christ becomes more in me. And the joy and the power and the blessing and the urgency, you've heard the testimonies all the time. Those who lose their lives in the midst of it all, they are giving praise and glory to Jesus Christ who would trade it for nothing. Because that's how the gospel works.
The world doesn't understand it. Believe expectantly. What is that? That is faith. Hey, worship team, you guys come on up uh, right now. Believing expectantly through faith.